If you love the smell of startups in the morning, you're in the right place. It's Startups for the Rest of Us. I'm Rob Walling, and here we are diving into a Where Are They Now episode. Today, I'm talking with Tony Chan. You just heard his season just a month or two ago, Tiny Seed Tales Season 3 wrapped in this podcast feed. But what most people don't know is that the last time Tony and I spoke to record that final episode was eight months ago. So a lot has happened since then. Before we dive into that, if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel, it is content like this. It's bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped startup topics. I often am deep diving into how to do something. Like some recent videos include five secrets to hiring top tier talent for your startup, eight awesome developer tools you're not using, seven new SaaS ideas you can steal, the number one reason why startups fail, and more. That's at microconf.com slash YouTube if you want to check it out. We are about to hit 30,000 subscribers on that channel and it is growing every day. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Tony Chan. Tony Chan, thanks for coming back on the show. Tiny Seed Tales slash Startups for the Rest of Us. Yeah, last time I saw you was at MicroConf. April in Minneapolis, yep. Yeah, yeah. And you've been busy with the European batch and the American batch and so on. So it's been a while since we've chatted. That's right. Yeah, and I've been attending a bunch of microconfs, but none in your area. So, but we've we've spoken since then for sure. Here and there, company right. stuff. Yeah, just haven't recorded via Slack, async, various things, roller coaster ride of stuff that we've been through. Okay, so yeah, to set the stage, Tony Chan, co-founder Cloud Forecast. Tiny Seed Tales, season three. And that just went live. The whole season rolled out over the past couple of months. I mean, it ended maybe a month ago. But for people who don't know, we recorded that from about, it was like 20 months ago is when we started and we ended about eight months ago. Right, so it's been eight months since that last episode was recorded. And right after we recorded that last episode, you sent me an email. It's like a week or two later, you said, Oh my gosh, this is such a roller coaster. So much is different than the last episode. Already things had changed. When we first started Tiny Seed, we got the seed money. I think even a little bit before then, we started putting some pieces together to hire a first engineer. So I don't even know where the time went. It's of <laughs> everything that's happened, it's crazy. It goes fast. Well, I mean, one of the things you told me, again, right after the, within two, three weeks of recording that last episode, I believe you lost one of your engineers. She left, right? Yeah, Katya left the company. I mean, it was on good terms and good for her, right? She was able to find some upward mobility at a bigger company where she can learn, probably uh, where she felt that her skills can be developed a little bit further. I mean, it's hard at, um, you know, at the time it was three of us and we're onboarding Arturo, our senior engineer, and we're maybe hoping, you know, Arturo would help develop her a little bit. But I think she was looking for probably a bigger company, more structure. I mean, we have some structures in place, but it is hard, right? A lot of it's individual contribution of what you could do here at a bootstrap startup. So we were happy for her. I mean, we were sad, but it is what it is. It's just part of the unexpected things that happen and you just got to roll with it. Yeah, because that was the first episode of your season was talking about you had you, you were just about to onboard and then episode two was like, she's amazing. She's doing great. And did you take it hard when she left? I think we did at first. We're like, well, I think we also saw it as like, wow, that's like opportunity costs. On our side, like we we invest a lot in time in her, right, in terms of onboarding her and getting her set up and such. But 
also across the years, she also did really good work for her. You know, I think as founders, you have to forget fast. You can't hold grudges. Like we, we don't want to hold grudges. We, we want to be good people. We were happy for her. Like we were sad personally, but also happy with the upward mobility that she was able to find. And it sounded like a really great opportunity. And I think we saw it more as positive. Great. She redesigned her own app. She refactored a bunch of things on the front end side, redid our whole front end and tailwind components and UI, and it set it up for success now today, right? And without the work that she did across the whole year, you know, we would be in a lot different place at the moment with our app on the engineering side. And it's really set up Arturo, our senior engineer, kind of almost like passing the baton, and he's doing really well on his side. Then we backfilled one of his friends into Katya's role, and and he's done really well, especially like it's having her work and that foundation she placed has sped up our kind of features and how our app looks a lot more professional polish overall. I think that's that's a good thing, right? So we, we saw it more on a positive light, just to sum it up. Yeah, because when the season ended, it was you and Francois, co-founders, and then it was Arturo and Katia. And obviously Katia left. You just said that you've backfilled her position. Is is it still the four of you? Have you hired anybody else? So when Katia left, Arturo was just starting. And he was a senior engineer, and we saw that as a game-changing hire in which as an individual contributor, he can spec out and do feature requests and build out features without having too much involvement from Francois. He can kind of take over things and lead the team in some ways, right? So when Katia left, he went through his Rolodex, like, hey, I know two friends that might be interested in joining the company. We ended up interviewing two people and we hired one of their friends. We actually briefly considered hiring both of them. But I think what what's going on with the economic situation at the time with Ukraine and all that kind of stuff, we're like, uh, we should probably be a little bit more conservative on our cash. We just hired uh, Fernando, who started maybe two or three months after him. So the last six or eight months, six to eight months and last few months had been almost ramping up and getting into a good rhythm between Francois, Artur, and Fernando. And that's been a big part of our focus of what things that we need to implement so that they can feel prepared, they can feel enabled. And also it's put Francois in the hot seat to make sure that he is organized on his side and that he's planning things as well. So we ended up going with the base camp motto of shape up with a six week sprint. And that's worked out really well for us so far um, in terms of getting into a rhythm of building out feature requests and having the engineers also feel that it's a short enough period where they don't feel stuck in a project for so long as well. But the, the rhythm of product features are going to uh, ramp up, which is amazing to see. Amazing to even give that news to our customers as well and like what we're building. And it's kind of given us a way to be more organized about our product features and roadmap as well. Three engineers and you. It's a developer-heavy company. Yes, I am solo. Well, and some of the things we talked about during the season were there was this constant push and pull of like, Tony's doing too much, but also something you were not looking forward to was like having to give up control, right? Moving from a business to a company is is a phrase that, that you brought up. And Yeah, so it, it feels good on the engineering side, right? Like that part is in a good rhythm, as mentioned. That part feels like, hey, like there's a lot of promise here with this because right now we have the first half of 2022 planned out. And a lot of this is 
all specced out or mostly specced out, and we have a good idea of where we want to go with our product based on our user feedback and the resources that we have with the six-week sprint. The business side, not so much. It's been challenging. I think last time we chatted, we weren't even discussing, I think we were discussing unlocking more on the SEO content side since that seemed like a promising channel, but I don't think we discussed about hiring someone, right? Like hiring someone full-time? No. Right. I think we talked about like agencies and so on, but we tried to hire someone full-time. Oh, okay. How'd that go? It it went okay. (laughs) We had to let the person go after 60 days. Oh, that's not good. Yeah. Seemed promising. I think these things are really hard. Nothing to do with him or him personally or his skills. It just ended up not working just to like cultural and chemistry fit issues. I just could not get into a good rhythm with him with time zone differences as well. It just didn't work out for me personally. There's also the lack of like we thought that not having technical and AWS knowledge would not be as challenging, but it was a lot more challenging than we thought it would be. So overall, the person was decent, but we just could not think a scenario that can it could work out after 60 days. So are you going to try to backfill that role? We've thought about it. We're still thinking through it, how that could look. I think we've been taking a lot of the lessons learned from that. I have been able to find part-time writers that have knowledge in SEO and also knowledge in AWS that were former engineers that are interested in marketing to help us write content. So that might be a play for us where we just continue hiring part-time contractors. I still have to orchestrate that a bit, but... Yeah, then you're the manager. Yeah, but having this... I think what's helped was having this person and we're working with this person right now. It's like he he knows about SEO. He knows about content marketing. He knows what to expect. He's very proactive. That has been very helpful for us right now. And I think a lot of that was learning from our attempted hire, right? If Honestly, if we didn't hire and go through the pain of going through those issues that we ran into, I would not have been able to identify what we need. I would not have been able to identify the person we need to hire, whether part-time or full-time. I think we'll be a lot sharper when we are ready to hire or when we find that right person to hire. I am on the lookout. I think there is a money issue with that too. These people are not cheap, um, especially needing the technical chops and the AWS knowledge, but also interest in the whole economic pricing of uh, AWS as well. So it is challenging. I don't think it's impossible. There's probably someone out there, but I do think that the journey of the last two years of SEO and content, like I know a lot more about SEO content today than I did two years ago. I think we will be sharper of like who to hire the culture of fit. And these things are unpredictable. It's really hard, especially when you hire someone, you just don't know if it's going to work out or not. But I think it's important to document everything possible. Like we had a 30, 60, 90 day plan and it was not kind of going to plan and it felt like it was not a good fit. So I think having that was very helpful because then we were able to go to the person and you know have a very fair conversation on why it's not working out and why things are not going the way they are. And it, it ended up being very mutual on that side. We were very fair with the parting as well. Like Francois always talk about if, if it does happen, we want to be fair as possible. Like what is the fair thing to do on that side? So I think that was very helpful. It is really hard to hire people 
when you're not an expert at the thing you're hiring. It's the unfortunate reality of like, I see non-technical single founders trying to hire that first developer and it's very tough. And so likewise, if you're trying to hire someone for SEO and a year or two ago you knew a small amount about it, it's pretty easy to make a misstep there. And the, the more educated you get, I mean, the pattern I see is either the founders learn, usually the founders learn it. Like if we, if we look across all the tiny seed companies that you know, most of the founders find one or two marketing approaches that they learn enough to implement and start to get the flywheel going. And then they start replacing themselves, either a piece of it. You know, you look at Scraping B, right, with their content. You look at Ruben with his SEO, like starts off just doing a lot of it yourself and then you replace either pieces of it or you replace the whole mechanism. But by that point, you know it so well that it's quicker, you know, it's easier. But it's a budget thing, right? Yeah, what's been helpful, I think there's a few things that I think you hit the nail on it is hiring out pieces of it, right? The writing part is a huge part, right? The strategy part is a huge part. I'm able to, with this new person, at least do 50% of it, hand it off to him and he seems pretty knowledgeable on how to take it to the rest of the way, which requires me to not have effort other than reviewing his work afterwards as well. So I think that's been helpful. And I think the other challenging part too is we're bootstrap startups, right? And I think with bootstrap startups, like time is the most one of the most important things you can have as a founder, right? Time and the mental energy to work on things that you need to work on. And that generally means that you need to hire people that are mid-level senior, right? But those mid-level senior people are very expensive, right, as hires. And junior people, I think they're, you know, some tiny seats founders relish in working with people that are, that are more junior level and they have SOPs and they have processes in place and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that is something Francois and I are really good at, all that, like the process and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's why Arturo has worked out really well, it's just the fact that he can contribute individually, we can do what we need on our side and kind of onboard him and he just takes it the rest away. Just makes your life for me personally as a bootstrap founder a lot easier because I have other things to focus on. Francois has a million other things like he doesn't have time to manage someone. So I think that's challenging too, right? It's the funding part, the money part as a bootstrap founder. It's like you need to hire these people, but you don't have the money to hire. So I think that's hard. There's a reason companies raise money. And I think back in the days when I was bootstrapping and I still hear people say this, like, I don't know what I would spend money on to accelerate growth. And then you hit a certain point where you're like, I know exactly what I would spend money on to accelerate my growth. And usually it's hiring. You know, usually it's hiring a more senior person than you could otherwise afford. When I was starting Drip, didn't have much money, hired a lot of junior people, and that worked, obviously, but it was tough. You know, it was me training most of the people, and it was a lot of management and a lot of my time just maintaining the team. And if I had had a million in VC at venture funding, we would have moved way, way faster. And in fact, that's what I saw once we got acquired. And then, you know, the company acquired us had 38 million in funding. I hired like 10 engineers in like 18 months. It was crazy. Like our velocity was, it was so cool. And that's just a luxury. And so it, funding is a tool, right? Funding is, is not great. It's not the worst. Bootstrapping is definitely, I think it's harder than it used to be, to be honest, because of the competition. But I also just think in general, it's, it's a different kind of difficult yeah, I liken it to the, like when you're playing Doom, there's like nightmare mode where like building a startup, like bootstrap startup is nightmare mode, but you get through it. It is probably one of the most satisfying things you can do, right? 
Yeah, there's pros and cons. You retain the control and you retain, you know, and just for people listening, we know you're mostly bootstrapped. So every once in a while, like, you know, I know Scraping B published a blog post at one point or went to Hacker News and it was like how we bootstrapped to a million and a half ARR. And people were like, you didn't bootstrap. You took a small amount of funding, you know, but look, venture capitalists, if you raise less than a million, you're bootstrapped. Right. And yes, the 100,000 plus that we get from Tiny Seed, it is a significant sum of money, but it is very small compared to like raising a million dollars. The magnitude is a lot different. Someone in our mastermind, a newscatcher, right? They got into YC, raised a bunch of money and the six figures only got them so far and they raised a bunch of money and that's exactly what they're doing. Like they're enabling the money to hire people to accelerate their growth and magnify their growth as well, right? Like the 100,000 plus, it's, it's just a drop in the bucket. Gets us, I think you tell us, try to spend that in a year, Yeah. right? Even less, as much as possible to test out things. And, and that's one or two hires. Right. Bye. Yeah, it goes It goes by fast, right? So people's like, oh, you raised money. No, there's, the order of magnitude is a lot different. Yeah, what you can do with it and get accomplished, I think, is is a lot different. Our sponsor this week is Lemon.io. Imagine you have an idea that just might change your corner of the world, but you don't have the engineers that you need to bring it to reality. It's hard to find great engineers quickly, especially if you're trying to reduce your burn rate, unless you have a partner who can provide you with more than 1,000 on-demand developers. Vetted, senior, result-oriented, and unstoppably passionate about helping you grow. All that at competitive rates. Sounds too good to be true? Meet Lemon.io. Startups choose Lemon.io because they only offer hand-picked developers with three or more years of experience and strong proven portfolios. Only 1% of candidates who apply get in, so you can be sure they offer only high-quality talent. And if something goes wrong, Lemon.io offers you a swift replacement, so you are essentially hiring with a warranty. To learn more, go to lemon.io slash startups and find your perfect developer or entire tech team in 48 hours or less. And if you start the process now, you can claim a special discount exclusively for podcast listeners, 15% off the first four weeks of working with your new software developer. Stop burning money, hire developers smarter. Visit lemon.io slash startups. Tony, in true Tiny Seed Tales format, you know that I always have the questions. Things you're looking forward to, things that you're dreading, all that stuff. So if we look back at the last eight months since we last spoke, what has been hard? What has been a thing you've struggled with? There's just so many things. I think it's a combination of just instability. And I think that's part of being part of Bootstrap Startup, instability in terms of hiring Right, trying to get us into like a good rhythm, finding people that can get us into that good rhythm. Right, we mentioned with losing Katia, ramping up Arturo, and then hiring Fernando. That's a lot, right? Like, that's a lot of effort mentally as a founder, and we still have to focus on growing the company. On top of that, our revenue has been flat year to date. And I think the last time we chatted, we were on the progress towards about half a million in ARR. And I think we were around 450K AR at the time. But over the past six months, we've had a lot of churn. It's the first time in history of Cloud Forecast. And we lost our third largest customer, decided not to renew their subscription. It's not like opportunities have not been there, but like some of our, our growth drivers have been enterprise opportunities. And like we like those because when you get them on annuals, they're very solid ROI and they pay back really well and they help grow your company really fast. 
took a few L's on those enterprise opportunities did not close. Some were stalled because a lot of our product is selling up, meaning we work with engineering managers and they have to get approval from the whole team. Mentioned we had some churn as well. It was really hard to stomach and all that we just had to continue to run the business, right? Like didn't have a choice. I think that's that was really challenging because it was a lot of content switching, you know, going from hiring, how do we continue to progress the business forward while we had all this other stuff going on in the background and seeing our revenue relatively flat. So I think that was really challenging. It it was a really rough stretch for us just to sit there and not watch revenue grow. And it was so easy to get discouraged and get into a funk and just give up, right? And I think that what makes founders like us different, right, is the ability to learn from it, the ability to just mentally move on, find people to chat with, and people to check in on you to make sure you're okay. And so much of what we do is such a roller coaster ride, like literally like it's setback on setbacks and setbacks, but it's how you respond and how you forget about it too is really important. And I joke with Tiffany, my wife, she's a physician and she brings a lot of what she does at work home. And it's really like she cares a lot. So it's really hard for her to forget about her day, right? It takes some time for her to unwind. While she asked me about my day, I'm like, oh, I don't know what happened. Because like, I think that's one of my superpowers, be able to just move on and forget about it and just learn from it and just not let those setbacks just wear you down. And I think that's the biggest thing is just we were able to weather the storm a bit and just be able to learn from our mistakes, try different things. Not like we sat there and sat on our hands and did nothing. We've definitely did some things to try to move the business forward, tested things out. And yeah, just try to be positive too. like our, our goal. Like we we knew like our goal was like we need to unlock Arturo and Fernando faster and we needed to focus on that regardless of what was else happening on there. We needed to do that. And that was the most important priority at that time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds rough. Plateaus suck. They really do. And I mean, to your point, like so much of being a founder is managing your own psychology. And so I think you're a good example of that potentially, you know, of your superpower of being able to forget the day and to have a short memory of this stuff and just keep going. Yeah. And a lot of that, you know, we kind of listened back to Tiny Seed Tale, reflecting that a lot of, I felt like the discussion was managing the psychology and be able to chat with you openly about that. I thought that was really cool is just be able to guys be able to share our emotions as founders, me able to open up and what we deal with. I don't think we as guys or even founders do enough of that with each other. And I thought that like listening back to, I'm like, I'm very fortunate to have that space to be able to open up to you about that. And not only with you, like there's other tiny C founders. I think that's been the best thing is be able to chat with them openly about things and being very raw about my emotions and being doing that because without that, like you just stew on it. Right. And it just really affects you negatively. So I think having the outlet and be able to pour out all those things and those struggles were really helpful for us to get through that. And to piggyback on what you asked is like, what are we looking forward to? So we are back on the path of getting to half a million ARR. The last two months have been really good. We closed two really big net new enterprise opportunities on annual deals. One's going to be our second largest customer and the other one covered the one that churned. So 
there are some bright spots and they're bright spots that we're seeing with our engineering team being able to move the way they are and the velocity that we're seeing. It's going to be, I joke, it's going to be scary good in terms of what they can turn out and with Francois planning and that. So I think that's going to be amazing to see. And we have a few renewals and customers that have already committed increasing their subscription value with us as well. So setbacks, but it's three steps back, but you got to, as founders, just push one step forward, one just keep pushing the boulder up the hill. And I think that is the most challenging thing to do is managing your psychology to do that. Well, that's, that's good to hear, man. The fact that you've second largest replaced the one that churned, like things may be looking up and you know what? They're going to look up just long enough for you to feel like you're at the top of the roller coaster. And then guess what's going to happen? Something else will happen, unfortunately. So. Yep, crashing down again. Yeah, and I think like the funny thing is like we closed the deal um, recently, and we had a small customer churn. <laughs> like literally two minutes this later, I'm like, come on, can we get, yeah, yeah, can't catch a break. But you know, I think that's the beauty of enterprise opportunities is, especially if you can capture them on the annual deals, you get that payback all up front, right? And in a snap of finger, you grow your ARR 15, 20%. And whenever I talk to founders who just get started, I highly encourage them, how can you increase your prices? How can you tap into those bigger customers? Because those enterprise customers, like you can charge thousands of dollars, right? Five, six figure in ARR, average contract value deals. And they are easy to work with. They provide great feedback to your product. And they pay back really well and they have solid ROI. So I always encourage user, um, fellow founders to, if there's any enterprise opportunity play, go towards that, you know, and it's a learning opportunity as well. Like it took us two, three years to get to where we're at with that area, but it was incremental progress and learning and getting feedback on features that we need to uh, support those types of customers. So I like that. We, we can kind of end on a high note in that things are looking up and you're looking forward to this, you know, the growth and everything. We'll revisit. We'll do another, where are they now here? And I don't know. I bring Craig and gather on once a year or something. It's kind of fun just to revisit. But before we wrap this, I wanted to bring up, it's a bit of a non sequitur, but you, about a week ago, you sent me a Slack and it was an audio. I would read it on, I don't read your personal Slacks to other people, but in this case, I would read it. But in this case, it was an audio Slack. It was pretty late night. I, I might have been rambling a little bit. <laughs> I don't remember. I was, might, might have been distraught or something. It sounded fine, but you were saying basically AWS reInvent. It's put on by Amazon. It's the biggest event, in person event in your space, I'd imagine. This is the place that if you're going to sell to folks using AWS and you're going to do it in person, this is the place to be. And you had a conundrum. And what, what was that? What were you asking me about? The conundrum was not going because I get to do whatever I want. I'm a bootstrap startup. I control my own destiny. I don't need to go. Why do I need to go? Right? I don't want to, right? I don't, I don't want to. I don't yeah. feel like it. It's like <laughs> did not seem like a good time. Right? It's a huge conference, like 60,000 people across like 10 hotels or something like that. It's overwhelming, right? It's across, it's a whole week. Right. So for me, I was like thinking like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be really tiring. I'm just going to be drained. I'm going to be tired. It's really hard to break through the noise business wise because 
I mean, the, the money is not a problem. The tickets are $1,800. The hotels are $2,500. You know, it's, it's whatever, right? However, on the marketing standpoint, if we want to break the noise, we have to spend a lot of money. And I think when Francois and I were talking about it, like, it's going to be really hard to justify an ROI from it. Like, just because it's, it's a big conference, right? However, I think after much discussion with you and with Francois, like, why don't you go with no ROI expectations? Just go have fun, network, make friends. What's the worst that can happen? Like the worst is cool. I'm to spend a week, but at very minimum, like I'll get to travel, go to Vegas, meet some friends, meet some new people, experience something new, eat good food. And maybe that's what comes out of it. Right. And that's okay. Right. And I think just shifting our mentality a little bit on me going and, Doing things as well that I might not want to do was a big light bulb moment because I think a lot of the things I talk about with founders is like sometimes you just got to do things you don't want to do and you have to do it. And I think you turned that question on me. What was your feedback like? It was kind of like I said, I understand it because I don't like big events either and no one's making you go, but I think you will get benefit from going, either one of you. And probably don't attend the sessions, but just try to line up meetings. You talk to existing customers, try to get intros. Like, And I talked a little bit about like luck surface area, this concept of it just being in the mix. The number of things that I did that just turned into the next thing. Like I never was going to be a business of software. And I ran into this guy, Jeff Atwood, at Joel Spolsky's event. And I actually literally walked, I, I was, he was a blogger and I was coding horror. I was so nervous to introduce myself that I walked all the way out to my car. I was going to drive home. And I went, I need to go back in. And I went back in and I was like, Jeff Atwood, I'm Rob Walling, Software by Rob. It was the blog at the time. And he was like, I love that blog. And then we started talking and he's like, you should speak at BOS next week. And I was like, what? And that led to that, which led to, you know what I mean? On yes. and on and on. Like all these dominoes fell from me doing something that I really didn't want to do. And it does, look, it doesn't always work out that way. But I find going to in-person events, which is usually something I don't want to do, even though I host them myself, you know, it's terrifying. And yet I have a tough time not imagining you said leave the ROI, you know, assumption, like don't think about it that way. I think there will be ROI by being there. Yeah. I think the part that resonated me the most is the luck surface. And a lot of the cloud forecast journey has been increasing luck surface, has been doing things that we don't want to do and just putting ourselves out there regardless of how challenging it is or how difficult it is or what we want to do. And it has always paid off for us to a point where where we're at now. And I think when you mentioned that, I'm like, shoot, you know, that's been so much of our story and me not going would be very hypocritical of me and it'll go back to the foundation of how we built the company and what we've done. And like like the three times we interviewed for Tiny Seed and the multitude of failures of like just dragging ourselves to YC interviews and chatting with people and just chatting with people and just trying to find people to talk with and having conversation with them. Like that's so much part of our story. And I felt very backwards, you know, as I kind of thought through and reflected, like if I don't do this, that kind of goes back to how we built the company and the foundation of the company. So I'm going now. You're going. Solo to Vegas. Yeah, solo questing. And it's just interesting of like just being able to think through it, like how quickly it switches. Like now I'm excited to go. Like I, I can't wait. Already hitting up some people. No expectations. Just going to enjoy myself. There's some customers that are going to be there. So I'll try to meet up. And I think 
you said it best. I don't have to go to all the things, but just me being there will hopefully increase some luck surface and we'll see what comes out of it. That's a great way to end it, man. I'm glad you're heading out and I uh, hope it's worthwhile. If folks want to keep up with you, you are on Twitter at Tony123. It's T-O-E, like the body part, K-N-E-E, like the body part, 123. And of course, cloudforecast.io. Folks want to see what you're working on. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Rob. Have a great one. Thanks again to Tony for taking the time not only to record with me today, but to do the six recordings for the Tiny Seed Tales season. And thank you for coming back every week, whether you've been here for six or 600 episodes. I really appreciate you spending time with me each week. And I do not take that for granted. I know that your time is valuable and I always want to make the best use of it. As a reminder, we have a YouTube channel, microconf.com slash YouTube, where you can hear from me even more each week. If 30 minutes in your ears each week isn't enough, microconf.com slash YouTube. Thanks again for hanging out. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 635.